0: You're listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right. Well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the campus pastor of the Temple Terrace campus. I'd like to welcome all of you here, all of you that are watching online, and of course, at all of our seven campuses. Because I'm so excited that you are here with us this weekend. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's actually two national holidays that are being celebrated this weekend. Uh, the first one is actually called Juneteenth, and it's a holiday that not many people know about, and some people are wondering, why are we celebrating that holiday? And it's actually really simple. Uh, on July 4th, in a couple weeks, we're going to be celebrating Independence Day, which was when our nation was free from British rule. The problem was, on Independence Day, not everyone was free. In fact, it wasn't until uh, July 19th, June 19th, 1865, June 19th, 1865, that everyone actually became free. It was the day that all slaves were released. Everyone was free. So it's a day that we should celebrate. And so we do that. I get asked many times by some of my friends, they say, how, but I'm not an African-American. Why should I celebrate Juneteenth? Or what should I do on Juneteenth? Should I just feel guilty and, and shameful? And I'm like, no, why would you do that? That's not the point of it. In fact, you should celebrate because it means that your brothers and sisters in Christ around you, all of them are free. But here's the second reason. Here's what I see Juneteenth as a reminder of. It's a reminder of the evil that can so easily happen when we look at anyone based off any reason as any less than God's creation. And so we celebrate it because it's freedom for all. Now, Juneteenth is something that we absolutely should celebrate, so so is Father's Day. And and that's the day that we understand. It's the day that we get. And it's kind of interesting on Father's Day to come in and teach on Father's Day because Father's Day and Mother's Day are very different. I, I didn't realize this as a kid, but as a father now, I'm realizing it's very, very different how we celebrate this. Like, Mom, a lot of stuff. Dad? Right? Like, even the gifts aren't very good. It's like, was this the thing that you were gonna give to mom, but you found something better? It's funny, even at church, I remember getting the email and it was like, man, for Mother's Day, what do we do? Mom, you're the real MVP for Father's Day. Hey, we're gonna do absolutely nothing. And I told my wife, I'm like, babe, we're doing absolutely nothing for Father's Day. She's like, that bothers you. I was like, I don't know. She goes, what do you wanna do for Father's Day? It's like, nothing. (laughs) So, ladies, let me just say this. It took my wives about five years to understand this. When a guy says he wants to do nothing for Father's Day, let him, let him. Don't feel guilty about it. You, we just wanna sit there and not hear anything. It's a beautiful time. But let me just talk to the kids for a second. Uh, here, here's the hard thing about being a kid. It's so easy to make fun of your dad for getting older. It's so easy to make fun of him because he gets sore, he hurts things, he forgets things. It's so easy to make fun of him. Don't do it. If you can stop, stop right now. And here's why, you will be there one day. You may say, I'll never be there. That will never happen to me, but it absolutely does. I'm in in the phase of life right now where I get sore if I don't stretch for just about anything. Like I have to stretch before everything. Like if I don't stretch before I mow the lawn, I get sore. I'm the guy that when we go to bush gardens with my family, my wife doesn't like to hang out with me in line because I'm the guy as we're going through in line, I have to stretch if not, my back will seize up. The worst thing, this is the worst thing. And I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed to say this. We came back from our family vacation about nine and a half hours. We get back from family vacation. I was driving the whole time. The next day I was sore from driving. I'm at the age where I get sore for sitting too long. And here's the reason I say that is because as you get older, what you have to realize is this, is there's certain things that we do and there's certain things we can't do anymore. And this is hard as men because we wanna continue to do the same things that we did before, because we feel like we need to show our wives we're still that man, right? And we need to show our kids that we're, we're a superhero. And so we go on this family vacation and one of the things happening on the family vacation is we were going to ski. Now here's the deal, I haven't skied in 10 years. And on top of that, my left knee was hurting. And so going into the week, ahead of the week, my my wise mind said, all right, I'm not gonna ski this week. Just not gonna do it. My knee hurts, it's not worth hurting my knee, which happens a lot skiing, to go skiing. I get there, the first three days, they ask me, how do you wanna go skiing? I'm like, nope, I'm not gonna ski. Fourth day, kids go skiing, my sister goes skiing, my my brother-in-law goes skiing, my sister goes, hey, do you wanna go skiing? And I go, you know what? And I look over at my son, I just feel like he's looking at me with this, dad, please show me that you're still a man look which apparently he has at eight. And so I jump in the water and I get in the water and I put my skis on and immediately, my left knee starts hurting. They throw out the rope. The rope is not the rope that I'm used to, just the one handle, it's the two rope, which shouldn't matter if you know how to ski at all. I'm just telling you because it ends in my demise. And so I get back and I get ready to go. The boat starts to go. And when you ski behind a boat, what you're supposed to do is this. You're supposed to let the boat pull you out. Well, as it's starting to pull me out, my knee hurts. So I do what you're not supposed to do. I pull myself out and I immediately lose my balance and my left knee goes back and I let go of the rope with my left hand. But for some reason, I decide I'm gonna hold on with my right hand. And in a brief moment, the boat pulls my shoulder and I pull two muscles right back here that are apparently incredibly painful. And I'm in the water, I don't know how bad I'm hurt until I go to reach for my ski and I reach for it in immense pain. I go to the boat, I'm like, I'm gonna at least get myself into the boat. I'm not gonna have somebody help me that's weak. And I go to pull myself into the boat and I yell and I fall back into the water. So they have to help me back in. And immediately my dad who loves me, but has dealt with all my jokes immediately starts to make fun of me. And so we get back to the house and the jokes definitely happen, but they die down until the nighttime. But here's, here's what happens. We're all sitting around. And while we're sitting around, I all of a sudden felt the need to sneeze. And women, you gotta understand this. There is a boy sneeze and there is a man sneeze. And especially when you become a dad, a sneeze is not just a sneeze anymore. It's, it's establishing dominance with everyone around you. And I needed to establish dominance in this moment because I just lost it. And so I go forward with this big sneeze. Well, apparently when you try to establish dominance with a sneeze, you use more muscles. And so I sneezed and pulled whatever was back here and yelled at the same time. Everyone was quiet. Then my loving mother laughingly asked me if I was okay. It's like, thanks mom. Then my sister, my sister is a physical therapist. She comes up to me and she says, "How? look, here's the deal. It's gonna heal, but you're gonna need to stretch it out. You're gonna need to do these exercises so it doesn't happen again. And really that's what getting older is, right? It's hurting yourself and doing rehab. That's part of it. You hurt yourself and you do rehab. And what happens as you get older and older, what tends to happen when you see with certain people? They hurt themselves and they go, you know what? I don't wanna do the rehab. So they hurt their knee, they don't do the rehab, so they just walk with a limp. They hurt their, their shoulder, they don't do a rehab, so they just going, this is as, hard, as far as I'm gonna raise it. I remember talking to a guy, I'm like, why don't you do the rehab? He's like, it's just gonna happen again. But here's what happens. When we, when we hurt, get hurt and we don't do the work, we decide there's certain things in my life that I'm now close off to. And in the same way, in the same way, when we sin, and we decide it's too big for God, we close off areas of our own life. We close off relationships. We say, no, 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 I've hurt that too much. God can't save that. We close off uh, opportunities. God can't use me for that. I've sinned too much. And what we start to do little by little is we just stop living the life that God had for us. See, that's the story that we're gonna be talking about today. The story today that we're gonna be talking about is David with his son Absalom. And this is not a story just for fathers and sons whatsoever. This is a story that affects all of us. You see, last week we ended with the story of what happened with David and Bathsheba. I mean, David sees Bathsheba bathing. He wants her so he calls for her and then basically he rapes her. You're like, but he just called for her. Yeah, he's the king. If she doesn't come, she dies. And then she gets pregnant David decides at that point, oh, I'm gonna have uh, her husband come back from battle and sleep with her, nobody will know. Well, he won't do that. So he sends the husband back with orders to be in the most dangerous place, so he dies. So David commits rape and he commits murder. And it's not until the prophet Nathan comes to him and calls him out on it that he repents. And he does, he absolutely repents. He repents and he realizes there's consequences. But from that moment on in David's life, as you read, he just stops, he just stops. He goes, I've done too much, I can't do anything else. And you see him stop leading, you see him stop parenting, you see him stop caring about the people around him. And we see it in this story, you see David had a son named Amnon, and Amnon really, really liked his half-sister Tamar. Apparently they grew up in the Tennessee area of Israel. I was born in Tennessee, I can say that. But he absolutely, for some reason, was infatuated with her. And Amnon was sick, so Tamar comes to take care of him. She takes care of him, and as he gets better, he grabs her and he rapes her. But he says after the moment he rapes her, he looks at her with disgust. He has disgust for her and he sends her away, which was basically killing off all of her chances to get married. Because in that culture, if you were no longer a virgin, you didn't get married. So he took away from her, her virginity and her possibility of marriage. Her full brother Absalom was incredibly angry about this and everyone looked to David for what he was gonna do. You know what he did? Nothing, nothing. For two years, David did nothing. But Absalom was angry. Absalom invites Amnon over for a big party, gets him drunk. And because he's so angry about what he did to his sister, he has him killed. And then Absalom runs away. What does David do? Nothing. And I think I get it. Because what just happened with his sons? One son raped someone. One son killed somebody. Were those the same two sins David just committed? Parents, hear me on this. If you don't heal from your past sins, you will not help your kids walk through the same things. Absalom runs away. For three years, he's gone. In fact, David in that time is talking to his commander, Joab. He's like, man, I wish Absalom would come back. I love him still. I wish he would come back. And so Joab goes, well, send for him. And he goes, well, I'm not gonna send for him. And Joab gets so frustrated with this. He actually sets up this this fake situation where he brings this woman in to act as Nathan did, to tell David a false story, to make him feel bad about Absalom. David sees through it, realizes Joab is not gonna give up. So he goes, all right, Absalom, you can come back. But he goes, Absalom, you're gonna come back, but I'm not gonna see you. And for two years, Absalom came back and he did not get to see his dad. And Absalom's going, why did you call me back? Why didn't you just kill me? So for five years, he hasn't seen his dad. Absalom goes, all right, Joab, you helped me last time. Can you help me this time? Joab wouldn't come meet with him. So Absalom burns down his field. They get serious very quickly. Burns down his field. Finally, Joab goes, all right, I'll go talk to him. Just don't burn down another field. And he meets with David and actually says he bows before David. And it looks like everything's okay, but of course it's not because Absalom's still angry. So Absalom then, he went to the gates and it says in the Bible, that Absalom was incredibly good looking says that he had really incredible hair. It actually says in the Bible, he had five pounds of hair. I was like, that's that's a lot. And And for a moment, I'm going, maybe that's what my weight gain has been. So I got my hair cut and I got on the scale, nothing changed. Five pounds of hair. And here's what he did. People would come into the city and they would bow before him. He goes, no, 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 you don't need to bow. We're all the same. And then he goes to the court area where people are bringing their grievances and he hears what they're saying. He goes, you know what? If I was in David's seat, I would let you do that. And he slowly takes over. And why was it so easy to take over? Because David was doing nothing. Well, Absalom ends up getting one of David's top advisors. David realizes the writing on the wall, he runs away. And for the next couple of chapters, we see this just incredible scene take place with all this backbiting, all this planning, all these things going on. Then finally, David has an army. Absalom has an army. They go against each other. Absalom, while running away on his horse, gets his hair caught in a tree. is so badly caught that he was there for hours. And Joab, who is the one that's just fed up with this whole situation, goes and kills Absalom. And David grieves. And after this moment in the story, David's life just gets worse. David couldn't believe that God could do something with him past his sin. Which is crazy because David saw a God that could defeat a giant, yet he couldn't believe that God could defeat his giant sin. He didn't believe that God could still do miracles in his life. See, David couldn't move forward. I need you to hear me on this. For David, his, his failure was his finale, but it doesn't have to be for us. In fact, that's not what God wants at all. And when you look through his word, all you see is people over and over failing and God still using them after he brings them back. Look, God has a plan for your sin. He wants to take your sin and turn it into something good. But But just like an injury, we've gotta do the work. We've gotta take steps. So I have five steps for you today. And the first one is this. It's the word none of us like. It's the word repent. And I don't think any of us like this word because we think of the guy on the corner, right? With the the megaphone yelling, repent. But repentance is a regular part of what we see in God's word. In fact, in Acts 3.19, it says this, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. See, David does this. David repents. Actually, if you are in a place where you think you've done something that's too big for God and you don't even know how to start, go to Psalm 51. It's where David repents to God. It's a great starting place. But we do, we have to repent. And I want you to understand what repentance is not. Repentance is not just admitting that you've sinned. Look, we can absolutely admit that we've sinned and not change it. Like I, I've admitted that I've been sinning and continued to sin. Like admitting, admittance doesn't change anything. And at the same thing, repentance is not just an emotion or a feeling, right? Just because you feel emotional about about it doesn't mean you're repenting. I've been in a room with somebody who has committed adultery, torn apart their family, and they're crying desperately. But at the same time, they're not going to stop. They're just sad about what's happened. See, it's not an emotion. For many of us, I I think we we, we carry the emotion side. It's kind of like me as a kid when my parents would punish me. My parents got really good at punishment. And here's why I say that because I would do something wrong and they would send me to my room and say I had to wait for my punishment, which was brilliant. Because every minute waiting for your punishment feels like an eternity, doesn't it? And I remember I would be in my room waiting for my punishment. And I would start to feel a lot of emotions. I would actually start crying. I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Was I sorry for what I did, though? <laughs> no. I was sorry I got caught. I was sorry for the punishment that was going to happen. Hear me, just because you have an emotion about something doesn't mean it's repentance. Here's what repentance is, it's a choice. It's going, all right, this is what I wanna do. This is the way I wanna live my life. This is the way I wanna go about it. These are the things that I care about and going, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm gonna turn to God and go, God, you are the way that I'm gonna live my life. You are the one that I'm gonna follow. You are the one that has the best plan for my life. It's a sign of humility. Repentance is taking my my mind and my eyes off of what I want and turning them and putting them on God. It's admitting that I can't do this on my own. It's realizing that only God can change me. So here's what I believe. I believe one of the signs of spiritual maturity in a Christian, one of the biggest signs, is how long it takes after you sin to the point that you repent. Because that amount of time is the amount of time that things get worse. I mean, imagine for a moment if David would have repented earlier. Imagine if when he walked out on the balcony, he saw Bathsheba bathing, he saw her, he realized that was wrong because he knew it was wrong and he went back in and he repented, none of this would have happened. Or even after he slept with her and he found out that she was pregnant, he went back and repented, Uriah wouldn't have died. But no, David waited till everything went wrong and he had to be called out to repent. See, repentance is so important in the Christian life because it's taking my eyes off everything I think I should do, and it puts it on God. And here's what God does. God is so amazing with this. He gives us a wisdom to see our sin for what it is and to understand our situation that we put ourselves in. He he allows us to understand the circumstances that come out of our sin too. And here's why this is so important because step number two is very important. It's expect consequences. It's expect consequences. Meaning we know that when we sin, there's consequences. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You're going, how? That's talking about, you know, eternity. No, no, no. It's talking about the wages of sin. Look, when we sin, it kills things. It kills relationships. It kills opportunities. And there's consequences that happen. And we need to understand there's consequences, We need to know that, and here's one of the biggest reasons why. Because I see so many people who sin, who repent, but when the consequences come in, they go, well, God must not have forgiven me. And that's not true. God forgives us, but he allows us to walk through the consequences. Which is important because that moment before we decide to do the sin, we've got to remember there's going to be consequences at the end of the sin. And actually, here's what's incredible about God is when we go through the consequences, he goes, I will walk with you. Yes, you caused that on yourself, but come close to me and I will walk with you through the consequences of your sin. See, David repented. He absolutely did. He understood the consequences because Nathan told him the consequences, including losing the son that Bathsheba would give birth to. But what David couldn't do is the hardest thing for us to do. I'll be honest, this is the hardest thing for us to do, and it's what David couldn't do, so it's what we must do. And here's step number three, is replace guilt and shame with forgiveness and hope. Replace guilt and shame with forgiveness and hope. This only happens if our eyes are on our Savior and not on our failure. Because when we look at our failure, all we wanna believe is that we are a failure. All we wanna believe is we need to be filled with guilt. We need to be filled with shame because that's what we deserve. When we look at our failure, you know what we don't have? Hope. See, the enemy is so smart in this. You know, before we do the sin, what does he do? He goes, oh, that's not a very big sin, Hal. That's not a big deal. You'll probably get away with it. It won't hurt anybody. In fact, if it hurts anybody, it'll only hurt you. And then after you commit the sin, what does he do? He maximizes it. He goes, oh, that was a big sin, Hal. No one's ever gonna forgive you. In fact, what he does after that is he takes that sin, he takes that action, he takes your identity and he puts them together. He says, now you are that sin. And the only way that we can combat that lie is to look to our savior that tells us who we really are. So we've gotta choose to fight the lies. And the only way we do that is by looking at Jesus. Do you know this? Jesus has never been shocked by your sin. Like, I need you to know that. Like, never ever has Jesus been up in heaven and gone, I died for a lot, but not that. He's never said that. In fact, before he died, he knew all the sin you would commit. And he goes, I'm still gonna die for you. In Ephesians 1, 4 to 7, we actually see Paul talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's explaining this. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. He knew ahead of time what we would do, and he goes, you know what? I'm still going to adopt them. He says, this is what he wanted to do and gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace, which is what we need, is grace on top of grace, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. What does that mean? Nothing has surprised God. There's nothing you've done that God hasn't planned for, which means this, all of us are still on God's plan A for our lives. We're all still on plan A. Some of you are like, no, 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 I messed up a lot. I'm on plan like triple Z. No, we're still all on plan A for God's plan for our lives. I've heard this so many times. You know, I had a chance, but I messed up God's plan for my life. It's impossible. It's impossible to mess up God's plan for your life. Yes, you may like miss out on opportunities, but God's plan for your life knew the mistakes that you would make. He knew the low points that you would have. He goes, I'm gonna forgive it so that you can move forward and we can work together. And out of that, knowing that, we actually have what's called hope. See, I think it's the difference between Judas and Peter. Judas and Peter were disciples of Jesus. We know this. Judas, he he betrayed Jesus to the religious elite, basically set up his death. Peter told Jesus, he goes, I will never deny you. And then when he was in Jesus' trial, he denies Jesus three times. One of the times was to a middle school girl which we make fun of him for, but middle school girls can be a little scary. But he denies Jesus. Judas felt so guilty, he hung himself. Peter, filled with guilt, when Jesus raises from the dead, goes and talks to him. Jesus says to Peter, he asks him three times, he goes, do you love me? Because he wanted him to answer three times, just like he denied him three times. And Peter three times says, yes, I do love you. So, Jesus said, Feed my sheep. And on the day of Pentecost, which was the starting of the church, Peter was the one chosen to speak to thousands of people. God took his failure and turned it into something good. What was, what was the difference? Judas took his guilt and shame to the grave, Peter took his to the foot of the cross. Be careful. There's this belief and what the enemy wants to tell you is you just need to live with that. And that's not true. We can take it to God and he can use it. And here's kind of the interesting thing. God always wants to use the lowest points in our lives. That stinks a lot of times. I'm like, God, use the good stuff. He's like, that doesn't show my power. Because when we see God's power, we realize how big he is. When we realize how big he is, we realize there's nothing he can't do when we realize there's nothing he can't do, step number four makes sense. We can turn our failures into growth. Turn our failures into growth. Romans 8, 28, it says, it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What does that mean? That means no matter the sin that's committed against me or the sin I commit, God can work it for good. Now, the part that's misquoted so many times out of that verse and people don't understand is you have to actually be with God. Like it says, for those called according to his purpose, for those that love God, you have to stay connected to the power source for this to happen. I, I hear too many times people say, oh, well, time heals all wounds. Time never heals a spiritual wound. Time plus Jesus does. God wants to heal our wounds, but we have to stay close to him. And when we stay close to him, he allows us to see our sin for what it is. And that allows growth. And how do we see our sin for what it is? We ask ourselves questions. We look at the sin. Here's the first thing you see there is to see the pattern. See what happened. What led to this sin? What feelings were before this sin? What caused me to look past what I knew was going to happen, the consequences that were there? See, so many times uh, the sin that we commit over and over again, there's a pattern to it. There's a reason that we do it. And what we can do with God is look from the outside and go, this is the reason I get into this trouble. Here's the second thing we can do is we can ask questions. Not to yourself, (laughs) to others. Bible actually says this, when you confess your sins to God, there's forgiveness. When you confess your sins to others, there's healing. See, we can't stop bleeding until somebody takes the knife out of our hands. And what other people do in our lives is they see our blind spots and they go, here, I'm gonna remove that. I'm gonna show you this. I'm gonna help you because you can't stop hurting yourselves. And sometimes that's where we're at and we need other people in our lives to help us. Here's the biggest problem. When we fail, what do we wanna do? We wanna get away from everybody. God says, hey, no, 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 when you fail, get close to those who love God and love you. Here's the last thing we gotta do is we gotta build guardrails. This is hard because what we naturally want to do is this, is we want to excuse the sin and minimize the sin. Oh, it's not a big deal. It won't happen again. No, what we have to do is we got to look at, okay, how did this sin happen? Uh, Ask the questions to our friends, uh, show it to us. And then we go, all right, this is why the sin is happening. So I'm going to take two steps back and I'm going to put up a guardrail. And here's what's tough about guardrails is the world around you won't understand them. How? Why don't you watch that show? Why don't you follow that on Instagram? Because it's sexual. And I know if I see anything sexual, then it can lead to a next step, which could lead to a next step, which could lead to pornography. Or why why don't you drink? Well, because I I don't want to drink because I've gotten drunk before and I couldn't stop doing that. So I just want to take a step back and I won't even drink. I don't even put myself in that situation. Why don't you hang out with women alone? Because I don't even want to put that temptation into my life. See, there's guardrails that the world around us are like, why would you even do that? Because I know me, you know you. And we set them up knowing that we don't wanna take that next step. See, every sin is an opportunity for growth, but only if we choose to grow. Only if we choose to grow. And when we grow, it allows us to fully do. Step number five is love God, love others. Like how that's the most basic step. (laughs) So this is what we do. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. We need to love God. What does that mean? Spend time in prayer. Spend time in God's word. Get as close to him as possible so that he can be with us and we're connected to the power source. Here's what's interesting about David's story. Do you know, it wasn't until right before the battle that David actually prays for the first time. His son murders someone, doesn't pray. His son rapes somebody, doesn't pray. Only when everything was about to go wrong. Why? Because he was disconnected. He allowed things to go crazy before he even decided to bring God back in. So here's what's so incredible about God is he goes, stay connected to me. Allow me to change what you've done. Take that sin and turn it into something good. And then what you do with that is the way God redeems your sin is he allows you to help others recover. Allows you to take that sin and help others Because here's the deal, and I just wanna say this off the top of the bat, we're all in recovery, we are. All of us are broken, either by other people's sin or our own sin. We're all broken, we're all in recovery, and we're all looking to help other people. See, what God does is he takes the sin that we thought was the worst point, point in our life, and he makes it and redeems it into something that we get to use to do his good work. There is no sin that is too big for God to redeem. I know there's some of you in this room today that have allowed a sin to keep you away from a relationship, that allowed a sin to keep you from doing certain things in your life, to keep you away from opportunities because you're not willing to either put in the work or believe God can forgive you. We just sang a song that God is the same God. He was our savior before, he is our savior today. God used a man that killed Christians to start the most churches in the New Testament. He can use anyone. So what's your next step? Is it to start with just repentance? Decide, you know what, God, the way I'm living my life is wrong. I need to turn to you. Or maybe it's the expect consequences. It's realizing that the thing in your life is not because God hasn't forgiven you. It's just the consequences of the sins you committed. Or maybe you need to replace guilt and shame with hope and forgiveness. You need to put your eyes back on God and realize he is your savior and he loves you. Or maybe you need to choose to grow and learn. You need to bring other people into your life to help you walk through this. Or maybe you need to love God and love others. God's done a big work in your life. You're afraid to let everybody see it. But that's exactly what God wants to use to bring glory to himself so other people realize the miracle is possible. See, for some of you in here, maybe you've never taken that first step of giving your life to Christ, of starting that relationship. You've heard your entire life, God is all about shame and guilt, but you're realizing today that's not all what God wants. God doesn't want us to sit in shame and guilt whatsoever. He wants to give us a full life, filled with forgiveness and love and hope. So today, if you wanna start that relationship with him and take that first step, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud in just a moment that you can say quietly right where you're at. So if we could, if we could bow our heads and close our eyes, if you wanna start that relationship today, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that you can say quietly right where you're sitting and start that relationship with him today. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. I believe in your son, Jesus, that he died, but that he rose again and he defeated sin. Today, I'm committing my life to you. I'm leaving my way of life and following after you. God, thank you for loving me and thank you for giving me new hope. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See, there's always next steps. And right now, we're going to have our campus pastors come up and close the service with giving us some next steps. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.